Welcome, daters, to The Yentas. We are three matchmakers. Elisa Ben Shalom. Michal Neistetter. And Danielle Selber. Yenta can carry a negative gossipy connotation. We are not that. We are love professionals and proud to be Yentas. This is a part of our tradition, our history. We support you on your search for your person. The three of us met for coffee many years ago, and we've collaborated and supported each other and our clients ever since. This is your invite to our chat at the virtual coffee shop. Who should you date? Who should you marry? These are the biggest decisions that a person can make. You don't have to do it alone. You've got us. Ready? Come on in. Take a seat. I'm excited about today's word. The word today is door, which means generation in Hebrew. So why did we choose the door vador as our concept for today? Generation to generation. The seed of it was planted when Danielle and I did a Zoom speed dating event a few months ago. And the thing about speed dating is it's like a lot of pressure to get everybody there at a certain time. And if someone canceled, I, I literally have a panic attack. And I think like two people canceled at the same time. And Danielle and I decided in that moment to ask our mothers if they were available to hop on the Zoom. And what transpired was a Zoom with five men, three single women and our mothers. (laughs) And um, it was so great because our mothers fell in love with a lot of the guys and they were like, oh my God, he's so great. And they helped us think of matches for the guys. And I don't know, it was just so cute how they made connections. They gave them like real time, very blunt dating advice, which was just perfect and what they needed to hear. It was great. It was great. And so then Danielle and I talked a little bit after the event about how it's so great to have this connection to our mothers in making matches and talking about love and relationships and how a lot of our matchmaking that we do reflects our heritage, reflects our lineage, reflects this, you know, this value in in, in Judaism to create connections. Mm-hmm. Who we are is where we come from, in a way. Much relate to that. My grandmother was so friendly and so warm. It didn't matter who she met. They were her new best friend. I even had people that said to me, they're like, can can I be, I want to be an adopted grandchild. I love her. She's so wonderful. She just, she makes me feel so good. And, and she asked me questions and, you know, she called me love and she, you know, gave me a pat on the shoulder and she like took me under her wing and offered me tea. And she was so sweet and so warm and so welcoming. And whatever she knew, she passed it on to my mom and my mom would talk to everybody. She was, you know, she could be in the supermarket. She could be shopping. She could be anywhere. And we're always nudging, mom, we got to go gotta go you know (laughs) and she's like no no no, just another minute you know she's like building relationships wherever she went and and as much as it irritated me as a child my I now do it and my kids are like Ema I'm like don't worry in 20 years you're gonna be doing this to your kids and you'll be like I learned it from my mother who learned it from her mother who learned it from her mother and it's the secret to success in relationships (laughs) it is wait I just remembered this Aliza remember I was um, so Aliza and I used to live on the same street and before I moved, I came to look at the house and I was like wandering around the neighborhood just to see like, what's up around here. 
And I ran into, I didn't know it at the time, Aliza's mom. She just like greeted me on the street. She just started chatting and she's like, oh yeah, you know, my daughter lives right here. And we put it all together and we had like a 20 minute <laughs> conversation. Someone stopped by with a dog. Like it was so lovely. And I, she had no idea who I was, but I didn't know who she was in the beginning. No. It was a lovely interaction. And, you know, I moved to the neighborhood. So your mom gets full credit. I never knew you knew Aliza's mom. Just in that, I think that's the only time that I met her. Is that right, Aliza? I think so. I don't know. I, you know, we, we lived there, but they didn't, you know, they didn't always come around, but she would do that. She would always walk around and she thought that I knew everybody and everybody knew me. So she would always go, oh, I'm Aliza's mother. And I was like, ma, ma, you can't, you can't do that. Not everybody knows who I am. Like, like I have some friends in the neighborhood, but I'm not friends with every single person, you know? She's like, no, no, they all know you. They all say they do. I said, not exactly. She's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm elite proud. I'm Aliza's mother. Oh my God, that's, I mean, it so it's, not, it's not surprising that your mom was so proud to be your mother. Oh yeah. yeah. How about you guys? What do you have going on? You have any, you have any, uh, anybody's got any matchmakers in their history? I don't, I wish I did. I mean, not that I know of. <laughs> yeah, you start. I have, yeah, I have matchmaking stories in my family's history. So my Sephardic side. Yes. My Sephardi side, which is the la, 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 la. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's what it sounds like. <laughs> so my grandparents, um, they grew up in Morocco in Rabat, which is like the capital city. And so my grandfather was, uh, his father was an advisor to the king who happened to be a very friendly king to the Jews, which was not normal at that time in the Arab countries. And so my grandfather kind of was part of a family for whom like he was an eligible bachelor. And so when he was ready to get married, you know, at age like 16 at the time, they lined mm -hmm. up all the women in the village who were of marrying age, well, age 12 and above. And he walked down the line and he picked my grandmother, 12 years old, and they got married. And that was that. And so it's, you know, it's it's definitely, it's only two generations ago. That's what's crazy, right? It's he, wait, he was 16 and she was 12? Yes. And how soon after did they get married? Uh probably within months. I mean, they had, by the time that they moved to Israel, which was in 1954, they already had five kids. So and we're not talking about- How many did they have all together? 11. My mom is one of 11. She's the one one. Wow. And they are all still in Israel with you, Aliza, other than my mom and me. You guys have to come oh. visit. <laughs> you and On it. Yeah, Michal's going before I do. I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and then my grandmother paid it forward, I guess, because she met my now aunt on a bus in Israel, in Haifa, um, and said, oh, you have to get off the bus with me, meet my son and marry him. And so my <laughs> oldest, my mom's oldest brother, that's how he met his wife. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> that is so classic Israeli like no 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 you come with me I give you tea we'll feed you you meet my son it's all good you get married I like you come <laughs> and, and you're married for 70 years by the way and you pay it forward you know if you've experienced the blessing of of matchmaking then you pay it forward because you know how lovely that experience is um, how about you, so I am an Ashkenazi Jew. My mom's side is from Latvia. And then my father is, he was born in Lvov. And uh, it's a little bit of a sad story because my father's father, my grandfather died when my dad was only six years old. Mm. And at the time, um, there was um, a man who had two young children um, who his wife died. And as he was going through the loss and my grandmother was going through the loss, some 
I don't know how they connected the dots between Kiev and Lvov because they didn't have Zoom or or cell phones back in the day. But they were like, oh, my God, you know, this young child needs, you know, a father. And these two young children lost their mother. And they were like, you guys are a match. And then my father at six years old, you know, moved to, to Kiev. And that's how my step grandfather and my grandmother were set up together. Wow. Um, So it was a you know, it was a functional you know, functional thing, right? So I don't think it was actually like a love marriage, but sometimes matchmaking was done in this way. So I carry it with me as a part of my my history and my lineage. And then my mom, I think like your mom taught me to be very social and make connection, make connection spaces, especially on Jewish holidays and the importance of bringing people together for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Lador Vador, baby. Um, and then I, and then the other thing that we have in common as Gantas is uh, that we've all shared is is being mothers oh, yeah. and rearing our children. Just had the other day, I did a, a different podcast interview and they sent me the clips and I pulled it up and I was watching. I was like, oh, this came out very nicely. And my kids are like hovering around me and they're like, what's that, Ima? And they're like, oh, look, it's you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. Remember, I went to Jerusalem. I did a podcast and they're like, oh. They sat there and they watched the whole podcast over 40 minutes. And my husband's like, no, no, bedtime, bedtime. I was like, no, no, we are having a lesson in love. They are going to know everything that they need to know. I was like, do you guys know what, what that means? I'm like, uh-huh. And how about that with love? You know you know what the right thing is? They're like, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, good, good. We <laughs> Train them young. Nine, 11, and 13. Training them young, baby. <laughs> They're going to take on the family mantle. It's going to be like Elizabeth Shalom and Sons. Or like, like a painting. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, my daughter has no interest in that. <laughs> I wonder so much what it's going to be like when my children are older and explore dating and their mom is a matchmaker. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. exciting to think about. Well, I asked Avi, I was like, is it cool that I'm a matchmaker? I'm like trying to get some like props. And he's like, no. okay he's eight so he has some time to think I'm cool but he does not right now I think I thought it was somewhat cool because she watched Mulan and there's the matchmaker in Mulan but that matchmaker was not a positive Mm -hmm. matchmaker we need a good positive role model in in a cartoony movie that sounds like a really good Fiddler on the Roof was not good oh but we need (laughs) Mulan was not good but like you know a good one with like different values. Yeah. Okay. Who has a connection at Pixar? <laughs> okay. Everybody you're listening. Um, we need your help. <laughs> serious. <laughs> so the door door, does it take us into our question today, Michal, from our guest? Sure. Oh, I, I did have an idea. I wanted to mention that like the door door is about making connections between um, generations and it, I think it also means that we are learning from our past to shape the future. But now us as matchmakers, like we have to learn from the past, but now we have all these tools that our previous generations didn't have, you know, when they were talking between Kiev and Lvov, you know, Um, and now we have the beauty of Zoom. Now we're able to do podcasts. We're able to spread, you know, love and thought leadership through all of these mediums. And Danielle and I run speed dating events and Aliza does coaching programs. I mean, that's that's a beautiful thing, but it's also a very lonely time to to date. Mm-hmm. And also, I almost feel like uh, with the world at your fingertips, sometimes that can feel even more isolating, like choice, uh, decision fatigue, right? There's so much choice. There's so mm-hmm. many people out there. How do I know that my soulmate is not in China right now, right? And so right. 
that's why we all have to stay connected, right? Like as yentos and matchmakers and community people to make right. sure that the right like dots are getting connected. Totally. Um, I also think there's a really important role of family members in in helping people with dating, but they oftentimes get in the way. Do you mm. find that also? I mean, like people dread the Thanksgiving table, you know, right. people dread the questions from their family members. Mm. Usually, yeah, I usually call holiday time temporary insanity because <laughs> people don't behave normally. Like they need to come home with a story and a plan or somebody around their arm, right? So, so either I have somebody or I make up a story about somebody or I just started dating somebody online, even though we never talked or met. It's good enough for everybody. Yeah, yeah, she's beautiful. He's handsome. They're good job, good work ethic. They come from a good family. Like I, I have to have a story because everybody's going to hound me. You know, why are you alone? And why aren't you with anybody? And who are you going to bring next year? I'm like, it's enough already. When's it your turn? Like as long as I can have my story ready. So people, people rush to get online during these times. So I actually told somebody recently, I was like, listen, about a week or two before a holiday until about a week or two after, it's temporary insanity. So it's pretty much three weeks to a month of craziness and people don't necessarily date seriously. They're just, they need a date. You know, like have you all these rom-com movies that are like, you know, holiday, right? It's it's like the holiday date that you're bringing home and then, and then it's like, oh, but they actually fall in love. Isn't that so cute? And, and they like come in as like, you know, it's a business deal. Like you come home, pretend like you're my boyfriend. Yay. Yeah, look, we're so happy. And then they're like, wow, from pretending to be happy and like pretending I care about you and actually being generous and loving and kind and sweet tor- towards you and doing things for you. Actually, I think I do like you. Like I can't, I can't, I, I, you know, I came to feel really comfortable with you. So it is a time of temporary insanity. People are just dating in a very frenzied way. And I, I warn singles about that and just to be careful about that. Um, and I also think that daters, you know, they're also free. They have a lot more time. They might be in a different location. You know, you turn on your app and boom, boom like so many new people because you went home or you went somewhere else. So it also gives lots of options. So there's like a yay boo. It's like, you know, up down. And a lot of parents are the ones who make the investment for matchmakers and dating coaches mm-hmm. for their children. I would say that's a positive thing mm-hmm. as long as you make some boundaries and rules when you combine money into it. But mm-hmm. a lot of people are able to engage with our services because of the support of their family. Um, just putting that out there. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Yeah. Just something to think about the legacies that we pass on and how we measure our impact as matchmakers. Mm-hmm. No idea. Cause people ask a lot. People ask a lot, like what is your success rate? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the, and I'm going to tell you something like n- nine out of 10 matchmakers don't like this question. Um, because there isn't one type of success mm-hmm. in connection making. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a type of work in which you cannot control almost anything about it. You can't control the outcomes or anything like that. You can just give the opportunity. And so I measure success in opportunities, right? That's the only way you know what you're doing. Yeah. And I would like Mm -hmm. to teach that to my children, you know, how to just create opportunities for other people to connect because you're not everyone's going to get married just because you make these opportunities or introductions but you could try and that's a beautiful thing I think that that's a mitzvah and coaching Aliza I I feel like maybe has well probably the same problem but also a different um 
like angle in that like you somebody can measure how they started and how they are now when it comes to like the, the things you coach them on right they can see the change yes. in themselves I imagine <clears throat> absolutely yes they can see where they've come from they can see how successful or how challenged their dating has been how much easier it is if they feel that they're in a happier healthier place um, a little bit more grounded more confidence there's a lot of things that can come out of it I often get, you know, the emails like, thank you so much. You know, you don't know what you did over the last six months. It really helped me to transition. I've even had people, you know, read some of the things that I put out there or watch a webinar or listen to other podcasts and things that I've done. And they're like, you know, I was going to call you. I wanted your advice, but, but I listened to what you said and I, and I did it and actually it worked. So I just wanted to write and say, thank you and mazel tov because it, it yeah, because it actually worked. And, I, and I'm thinking, wow, of all the people that you updated about your status, mm. you took time to message me. We never even spoke. And yeah. I had no, but you spoke to me, right? I didn't get That's to speak beautiful. to you, but you spoke to me. It's really special. I hope that one of the blessings that you do on this podcast shapes somebody in some way. Um, <laughs> okay. Are we ready for our question? We are. Okay. Um, I'm going to press play. Here we go. Hello, my name is Matt. I live in Philadelphia. I'm 31 years old. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I am Jewish. I work for a Jewish nonprofit. And honestly, I'm really actually pretty new to the whole dating scene. Uh, I really only started dating just a few years ago. And I think my question is, what is the best way to try and overcome fear of intimacy, you know, because I think that's been my problem for a long time is that I have this strong fear of not just sexual intimacy, but emotional intimacy, you know, really opening yourself up to someone and and being vulnerable and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and comfortable with it. And that's been my issue for so long. And and I just wonder what is what what's what are good ways to just really hop on to the, you know, dating and and just not be so shy all the time oh coming off of covid this is this is a really heavy question right in 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 the olden days you know like three years ago we used to have interactions with humans so much more regularly so much more easily and so much more in person rather than virtually that the world has come to a place where we've gotten so comfortable virtually that we've gotten uncomfortable in person and that vulnerability, that opening, that letting somebody into your world and into your heart, it's like, well, I'm our, look, I'm a screen apart, I'm a world apart, and I, yeah, I didn't have to make such a strong effort. So it's kind of like we're out of practice, you know, like if you stop moving your muscles, they atrophy, and I think that this vulnerability muscle um, has definitely gone down for many, many people. So I think it's a great question, How how do we become comfortable? How do we get vulnerable? And um, one quick thing for me is like everybody and anybody, forget about your dates. That's the hard part, right? Let's go to just the easy part, family, friends, the local person at the grocery store, right? I think that a level of connection and emotional intimacy can happen with anybody when we take the time to acknowledge somebody pause, reflect, you know, if you ask a question like, hey, how are you doing? And be like, oh, good, good, right? Or if they're like, hi, how are you doing? And you're like, thanks for checking in with me. You know, oh, it's been a, it's a little bit of a rough day, but, um, you know, I'm okay. I'll get through it, but thanks for checking in, right? Like, oh, just that little thing opened a little door 
to vulnerability and to me sharing a little piece of my world. If I want to take it deeper, I could take it deeper, you know, and I and I could continue a conversation. But I think opening the door just a little bit in every interaction that you're having throughout the day, or at least let's not every start baseline once a day, <laughs> pick one person to become more open and vulnerable and real with and have one real conversation. Everybody else, you can go about your business. And then like once you build the muscle after two weeks, try to find two people and become more open and real. Mm -hmm. So I have a friend, her name is Emily, and she has a chronic illness. And she always talks about how she hates the question, how are you? Because it's like too broad and too big for somebody who's dealing with stuff every single day. But she loves like a follow-up question, right? Someone asks like reflexively, how are you? And she says, good. And then they say either, how are you really? Or how are you today, right? Mm -hmm. Like adding in that extra word opens up, this is how she describes it, opens up for her a place where she can actually like interact with them and be real with them. And it gives her permission to do that. It tells her they actually want to know. It's not reflexive. And so that's a skill, I think, right? Mm -hmm. To like give people the space and the moment to do so. Hmm. I love that. Um, I, I kind of want to go back a little bit because I feel like we're jumping ahead. Um, so I heard in your question, the fear of intimacy, sexual intimacy and emotional intimacy. And I just want to start with saying that like we are born, you know, in, in this world as sexual beings, um, as, as human beings, we're born perfect, um, but also needing relationships, needing attachment and what happens is that we have a lot of relationships modeled to us and touch relationships and all of these things modeled to us as a baby. And we develop understandings about ourselves and about relationships from day zero. So uh, we're not going to be able to fix, you know, everything uh, in this podcast. Um, but I think the first step is working on yourself and thinking about your childhood and growing up and what what shaped you. It's worth it for you to start learning about your attachment style um, because there could be like fear and anxiety that comes from a real source that comes from a trauma, something that you, that you learned, you know, we all could have blocks, um, you know, it could be something that's repressed. So I, I would say you should be working with a coach or a therapist, start with working on yourself. For me, that's step one. Um, and then step two is the experiential learning, which can be with somebody at the grocery store, practicing vulnerability on social media, practicing vulnerability, texting with people, practicing vulnerability with friendships, with family, all of these things. And then, you know, and there's also, you know, special sexuality professionals who do this type of work as well. And then step three would be the dating world. So I would go in that order. Um, and I, yeah, that's my thought. And sometimes you pinpoint a moment, right? And sometimes it's just about like all the pieces of how you were raised or, yeah. or what you were told, stories you were told about yourself, right? So it doesn't have to be like um, like psychoanalysis, right? It's more just figuring out like what you're built with and now what how you can move forward. Absolutely. I think also baby steps, meaning we're not all going to get to the same level. So all we're looking to do is like take you up one rung higher so that you just took a step forward and you stepped into being a more open, more vulnerable self. And Michal, I really like what you said about like, you know, if we have the concentric circles, like the center of the circle is me, then it's the people in my world. 
And then, you know, maybe the other support people uh, that you were talking about, if we need, um, you know, whether it's therapy or any sort of support through this process. And then it's like, okay, now we can experience the dating world, which to me is like, okay, you can deal with that last, deal with yourself, deal with your world first. That's what you interact with all the time. Okay, now we'll deal with kind of getting the dating system a little bit, you know, doing it a little better and getting it down pat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my, my imagination uh, is that you have some people in your life, Matt, that are good people that are sources of support. So I just want to encourage you to be open to the support that you can receive from those around you as you navigate this and explore those connections. Mm-hmm. And that'll move you in the right direction. And it's I almost said it's like never too late to get sex education, but it's, you know, sex education really should start uh, from the age of zero. But the fact is, um, and I'm very passionate about this, as you guys know, that most parents and caregivers really avoid the subject of talking about relationships and sexuality with their children um, because, you know, it wasn't done with their generation before that and before that. And so we're all carrying that with us. And I think that our generation it you know, us as mothers, our generation, or we're really starting to shape these conversations about sexuality and relationships with our children while they're watching us do matchmaking. We are starting to shape it in a way that previous generations never had because we have to. It is our responsibility to to teach them so that they can have healthy relationships in their adulthood. I went on a tangent. I went on a tangent there. I'm sorry. No, but I I think think that the summary of what you're saying is there's a short term and a long term goal. You know, short term, we're going to help you, right? You're going to help you. This is going to be good for you. Long term, this is going to be good for all the generations to come, which is Lador Vador. What you're doing, all the things that you're doing to learn for yourself are all the things that you will be able to teach to the future generations. And I think that it's really important like you said, Michal, we start with us, start with ourselves. Let me get myself in check. Let me figure out where I need to have, you know, some weaknesses strengthened and where I need to work on myself. And then I can go out and I can interact in the world, in the world with other people. And I can also use these lessons to down the road when I find my person train the future generations as well. Beautiful. And so the fear, right, that Matt spoke about, right, overcoming this fear of intimacy I once, I once heard it phrased as, have I earned the right to tell my boring backstory? In other words, like, am I, am I special enough to like, to put myself into the world and have people listen and have them actually care, you know? And that's like the basis of the fear, right? Like, are you going to open your mouth and be dismissed? Are you going to open your mouth and be told you're wrong or ignored or whatever it is, right? So how, how do the maths of the world deal with that? Like the, it's a fear of rejection, I guess. Hmm. You have to open your heart to yourself also and know that you're special and find what's special about yourself and own that. It's a lot about acceptance. And that's a lot of work. We're talking about a lot of self-work. I think in addition to acceptance that 
we also have to know what the world's going to give back to us. So sometimes the world's going to be very kind and it's going to be very loving back to us. And sometimes it's going to be pretty cruel. And the people around us are not going to treat us as well. Maybe they don't even treat themselves so well. So I think that as long as we have, I'm, I'm very into realistic expectations. If we're going to have any expectations, either like no expectations or just really understand. Sometimes things are going to be good. You're going to like it. Sometimes things are not going to be good. You might have good weeks you might have bad months but it's all a part of the process you're never going to stay high or low things are going to always shift and go up and down and the people that are good for you you should connect to and the people that are not so good for you we should have you move away from them and and pick other pick other people to put in your circle i love that mm-hmm. i love that with that should we should we give matt a blessing yeah matt deserves a really good oh. i think so too Okay, Matt, here we go. May you have the courage and the inner strength to access these places for you to go deep with yourself and to reveal some of them to the world around you. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Lovely. Even people at the grocery store. Yes. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks, Yentas. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much for Yenta in with us today. Join us for coffee next week. You can find us on Instagram at Elizabeth Shalom at Michal Matches at Danielle Selber. If you want to submit your questions, slide into our DMs.